Okay, so this morning we were we were just discussing, we got into a subject this morning, and we were talking about people that, you know, that that, that are on their way home to to uh, see the Lord face to face in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, 12. Uh, so it says, for now, in 13, 12, uh, 1 Corinthians, for now we see through a glass darkly, through a glass darkly, but then face to face. The verse before that in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, like a, and this is a Christian, like a little technia. Now you know what a child is. Their thoughts are, their thoughts are all about themselves. What they have, what they don't have, what they're going through, what they're getting, their whole thought is themselves. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. That was my communication to others. And what was I communicating? As a child, childishness, self-occupation. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. Why? Because I thought as a child. My whole thought was about me. And then that entered into my understanding. Then I understood as a child, meaning everything, even about the word, had to come to that place where I had used, I had to use the word to understand myself and my self-occupation. Then it says, but when I became a man, spiritually mature, I put away childish things. And what were the childish things? Thoughts that became communication because of self-occupation. Just think about it. We talked this morning, and then of course, that's uh, 13, 12. Uh, for now, we see through a glass darkly. And we've said before, we see through a glass. Glass there is like a mirror. And back in the day, they didn't have mirrors like we have. They had, they had copper and brass where they would look in and they could get some kind of an uh, image, reflected, a reflected image of themselves. And that's what it says. And for now, for now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So the glass there, the reflection, is the word of God. That's how we're to see ourselves. I see through a glass darkly. I don't know fully yet, but I do know a lot. We were saying this morning, aren't we so thankful for what we have? Because of what we have to go through, but what we have with the word. Darkly speaks of faith. Everything about us, I, I, I don't quite understand why. Because listen, if it's not the word and it's not dependence on it, then what do I go back to? When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child. It's because I, I, because I thought as a child. That was my whole thinking was all about my me. Me, 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 right? You know, the little kids, you know. You know, and it's time to get, to get up and go to school. Do they actually feel like it? No, they want to sleep in, right? No, because that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. Right? We're talking this morning when we got into the subject of seeing certain people on their way home to be with the Lord. And we brought up this, uh, Barbara, and Barbara and I have heard, heard this decades ago, probably three, maybe four decades ago, about dying grace. We, we talked about how God gives believers dying grace. And, and the dying grace 
it, it, what dying grace does is it takes themselves off of what they're even involved in and brings them into a reality that they're going to see him face to face. They're going to see him face to face. Amazing. Dying grace. He gives them grace. And, 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 and seriously, so when you think about this, who does God give grace to? In 1 Peter 5, 6 and James 4 and verse 6. Who does he give grace to? To the humbled. So that means this, as a believer, I can't make an adjustment to get out of my own thoughts about me, myself, and I. We talked about that. The me, myself, and I chapters in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is Job the 29th chapter and Romans the 7th chapter. In both cases, their whole occupation was themselves, what they felt like, what they were going through, who did this and who did that. It's all this self-occupation. Now, does the unsaved world have that? They do. They have all that. That's their whole life is that. Their whole life. And then without Christ, what do they do? They try to escape it. So they have drugs, they have alcohol, sometimes they call it retail therapy, shopping, and they try everything to get away from that. Their own thoughts, right? <laughs> oh boy. Now, for the Christian, how do we make these adjustments? How do we make adjustments? How does God give us adjustments? Who does he give grace adjustments to? Those that are humbled. What does it mean to be humbled? I'm not thinking too highly of myself. Here's the thoughts of a child. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 11. I'm first, I'm thinking too highly of myself, and then I'm thinking too lowly of myself. And I have this up and down, this yo-yo, this roller coaster ride, and, it, and some think that's the normal Christian life. It's not. No. Christ is our life. How did he live? Colossians 3 and verse 4, Christ is our life. We're hidden in him. Hidden from what? From our own thoughts. How do we make the adjustments to get out of self-occupation? A lot of times self-occupation is the result of self-preservation. There's areas in our life we just like and we want to keep. I, we heard many years ago certain teachings and all that. Some make more of their wounds than the cure. Some would rather live in their wounds than have the cure. It's just crazy to me. Crazy. Now, for us as believers, the, the, the wound that was incurable in Jeremiah 30 and verse 12, Christ has cured us. There's no question about it because Christ is our life. And in the life that Christ is in us, through that he allows us to experience through grace when we're humbled. Is there anything he left undone? Nope. The only thing that's undone in us is the flesh and its thinking. Because as far as God's concerned, he's completely satisfied with who we are in Christ. Back to dying grace. So he gives believers, he gives them dying grace. And what is great? It's in making adjustment from what? From self-occupation self-preservation, and bringing them into God's thought. We've said before, we, we, we were taught this, 
We were taught this, I know Barbara and I, we were taught this decades ago. And then I looked in a source, in that source, and this was in 1840, the year 1840. This is what humility is. It's not thinking too highly of myself. It's not thinking too lowly of myself. It's not thinking of myself at all. It's not thinking of myself at all. Why? Because what did, what did God do through Christ on Calvary? What did he do to the self-life? In Romans 6, 1 through 6, he crucified it. That's what he did. So why would I want to go back to dead thoughts again? Self-occupation. You look at Job. Everything about Job is going, is, woe is me. Everything that we have to go through in Romans the 7th chapter, it's this, it's me, it's my, it's me, it's myself, it's I. All this kind of thinking, all these things. And so here are these folks, and I was with someone yesterday, and I was witnessing this incredible grace. Because let, let's face this. Now, as far as our physical bodies are concerned, what are, what are they in the process of doing? And this is the thing that we fight, don't we, physically? What are our physical bodies in the process of doing? Dying. And we do everything, right? We do everything. We don't want to be weak, right? Our bodies get weak. We don't want that. We don't, we don't want our bodies diseased, so we want cures. Sometimes it's medicine. Unfortunately, sometimes there's too many drugs. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The Hippocratic, you know... Hippolytus, you know, and all those back, way back, way back in the very early centuries, said, keep the drugs on, on the shelf. Let food be your medicine. Isn't that interesting? Way back when, that's when he said that. Keep the drugs on the shelf and let food be your medicine. Yeah. You think about it. So everything we're trying to do, everything we do, we're trying to preserve these bodies, are we not? Health, Everything. Every single thing. We do that, right? And so we're all in that sense. We're all in the sense of a process of what? Our physical bodies is dying, right? But when this physical body dies, you know, this body returns to the dust. It was created from it in Genesis 2.7. It returns to it in Genesis 3 and verse 19. But those that are in Christ, their spirit and soul return to God who gave it in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7. Isn't that awesome? So God gives these people dying grace, right? And what is dying grace? It's making the adjustment out of the self-life, out of the death, out of the ruin, and now, in the, even before you're there, he's given you the grace to be with you. And now, your mind is on him. Set your mind, in Colossians 3, 2, on things above. Now, does that take a grace adjustment? Not on things of what? The earth. Okay, the earth, right? Where was our physical bodies created from? Christ in his pre-incarnate state in Genesis 2-7 formed man's body out of the dust of the ground, right? I mean, but, though, but at times, isn't that mostly what our occupation is? Yeah. Because we're trying to preserve self somehow, and we all experience that. We all experience that. But God gives, gives believers 
Okay, when they have submitted to him, when he has allowed them to be humble, because will will the weakness of our bodies does that will that humble us? Could would that humble us? Yeah. I've seen like in the physical realm, I've seen some of the biggest, most physical men, muscular, huge men that would do crazy things with weights, and then one cell in their body goes haywire, <laughs> and instantly they're shrunk. They shrunk down to nothing. But God gives believers, and we were talking about this with Barbara, he gives them dying grace. Dying grace. To make that adjustment, and I witnessed it, and it was an awesome thing to, to watch. The person who was experiencing pain could barely walk, it was, you know, just beginning to shrink as I've known this person for a number of years and just so occupied with Christ and going home with him. And I, and I was witnessing this dying grace. But is that all he gives the believer? Don't we in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 grow in grace and knowledge? Now, physical bodies are in the process of dying. But how about our spirit, our spirit and our soul? Are we entering into growing in grace in the inward man? Are we? Does he give grace to the living? <laughs> well, yeah, 2 Peter 3.18 says so. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It also says in 1 Peter 5.6, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. Allow yourself. Really, the Greek says, be humbled. Because everything about this life is teaching us, those that are in Christ, to be humbled so that God can give us this grace to experience his thought about us. Because otherwise, you know how we live? While we confess Christ, we live just like the world. Because everything about them is their thought God. Is your thoughts God? No, you read Psalm 10, verse 4, where it says, all, all, the, all their thoughts, all their thought. And I'll read that. Look what it says. It's not even God. Look what it says here. And I'll read this. Because when grace has not given me the adjustment because I refuse the humility, then what happens? What's my thought? I think just like the world. I live just like the world because everything about this world becomes very earthly. And even in James, the third chapter, 15, 14, 15 through 17 and 18, it brings it out. We can live earthly, sensual, and, and, and what does it say? Demonic. Where do, I, where do thoughts come that aren't from God? Where do they come from? Only two sources. There's only two sources. Uh, Psalm 10 verse 4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. This is what it says. God is not in all his thoughts. Now you may read that and think in translation that it's saying, well, in some thoughts he is not saying that. What it's saying is God doesn't have one single place in his thinking because they think in self and to think in self is motivated by what? Pride. What causes me to think constantly of myself 
and not Christ. Tell me, what, what do we think it is? It's called pride. That's right. It's called pride. That's what it is. Where do you think fear comes from? You know, James 2.19 says, even the demons believe and they tremble. Right? Even they believe. But they can't do anything about it. They've already made a choice. It's, it's unchangeable, their will. They would never have done it anyways. So it's unchangeable. But does God give grace to the living? Yeah. He has it ready. Isaiah 30, verse 18, he's waiting to be gracious. What is he waiting for? What do you suppose he's waiting for? Well, who does he give grace to? You know, sometimes we think, and God will use circumstances and situations. He will. And he uses circumstances and situations where we are to show us where we're living. Is it self-occupation or being occupied with Christ? Right? Does he give grace to the living? Does he? Yeah, who's, who, yes, he does. Yeah. But who does he give it to? You know, James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud. That's what it says. God, Theos, or Theo, resists, resists there is anti-tasso. The proud, the proud there is huprephanos. God resists the proud. But, separated from that, he gives more grace, greater grace, my zona carine, to who? To the humble, to the typi, typo frusune, those that have humbled. Those who mind, they're not, they're not thinking too highly of themselves, they're not thinking too lowly of themselves, because who am I in Christ? A new creature? Have old things passed away? And 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, yeah, they're all passed away. Behold, he makes what? All things what? All things are new what? In him. Does he give the living grace? You know, and, and sure, and it's, a, and it's a wonderful thing to see how God can give somebody dying grace. Do you know what's just as wonderful? Living grace. Grace to experience the life that Christ is in us. Gosh, when Christians see us, what do they see? Who do they see? What do they hear? How about those closest to us? How about in what we call our Christian fellowship? What is our conversation? Is what we communicate the equal of the life that Christ is in us and we in him? It's interesting the way it says it in Colossians 3 and verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. What do you think the word let means? What does let have to do with? The will. And what does the will have to do with? Choices. Choices. For me to live in self-occupation, I'm going to tell you, that's a choice. And then that choice becomes an expression, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. It becomes a complete expression. Right? But you know what Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What is corrupt communication in a believer? What is that? What would corrupt communication be in a believer? It would be the flesh. Is that who they are as far as God's concerned? Nope. 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Because if it's corrupt in Ephesians 4, verse 29, where did it come from? Follow the verse back. Look at 428. Then go to 427. Give no place to the devil. Because self-occupation is a place that the devil gives the believer to say, you have a right to feel this way. And you have a right to express it. <laughs> Gosh. God, you think about it. We are, where, what are we on our way for? What are we on our way to? What are we on our way to? To meet Christ face to face. Let me ask you a question. As far as the scriptures are concerned, as far as God's thought in his view, does he ever remove his eye from the righteous ever one time? In Job 36 and verse 7. Ever. Will he ever leave us or forsake us in Hebrews 13, 5? No. Will he ever fail us or cause us to be discouraged in Joshua 1, 5? Will he ever do that? Will my own thoughts do that? Where do you suppose they come from? I'll tell you where they come from. And they wear you out. You know what they'll do a lot of times? And again, we even talked about it yesterday, you know. You are what you hear, this, the health issue with the physical body and all that. You are what you eat. In other words, you are what you take in. And the Bible calls that you reap and you sow. You reap and you sow. This is what it says in Galatians, the sixth chapter. Look what it says. I'll read it. This is Galatians chapter 6. Right? This is Galatians chapter 6. Okay? Look at verse 6. Well, even let's look at Let's start in verse 1. This is Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Right? Restore. What does that mean? Restore. Get their minds back thinking, right? Get them back and being refocused, right? They have their mind to be renewed in Ephesians 4, verse 23. You see Ephesians 4, verse 23? Either, we either have our mind renewed, and if it's not, where do we stay? In Ephesians 4, 27, a marked off place. Place there is topos in the Greek, T-O-P-O-S. And that place we give to the devil, and he marks it off. And now he is going to bring in all kinds of thoughts. And we're going to think them. And somehow they become our thoughts. Hmm. They become our thoughts. In the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now with the preaching and teaching of the word, in that sense, is that bearing one another's burdens. People are burdened. They're carrying burdens they shouldn't. The word comes in, and now you have an option to take the word in the place of the burden. Yeah. And what do we call that? That's called love. That's called loving one another. For if a man, in verse 3, for if a man thinks himself to be something, now how would he do that? Why would a Christian man think himself to be something? Because what is he doing? He's thinking too highly of himself. That's what we do in the flesh. We either think in a way too highly of ourselves or way too lowly of ourselves, right? 
Again, humility is not thinking of ourselves at all. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, okay, nothing. Do you see the word nothing there in, in Galatians 6 verse 3? Okay. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 2, it says, if we have not love, I am what? Nothing. And verse 3 says, and, love, and without it, it profits us what? Nothing. The enemy through those lies, through those thoughts, wants to convince you, you know, when we're occupied with his thoughts and self-occupation, there's no, is there an experience of God loving us? Is there joy? Is there peace? I thought this this morning, God told me, you know, in his counsel towards me, he said, he was saying to me all through the night, early, and, and all, all through the early morning, all through the night and all through the early morning, he kept saying to me, do you know about you, Ed, I have complete and settled peace about you? That's what he's telling me. He said, I have, my thoughts toward you, are that my thoughts toward you, I have complete settled peace with you. And then he asked me this, have you settled is my peace settled in you? Do you have settled peace with me? Because I have it with you. I have it with you. So when the enemy gets me in self-occupation, okay, am I experiencing God's love at that point? Without love, I am what? What do you think the enemy's trying to do through self-occupation? What is he trying to do? To the Christian, what's he trying to do? Hmm? To show us, hey, there's no profit. Does this, you know, does your circumstance and your situations make any sense? Yeah, it makes a ton of biblical sense. Because, because this, be humbled. Because God's, I don't know what Christians think. God's plan is designed to humble the Christian because otherwise they'll function in the flesh and they'll live just like the world. And they'll have all these escape mechanisms and use all these things. You know, do they work? Do they work? If I don't have settled peace with God based upon his word, based upon his thoughts, then no matter what I do, is that the way of escape? Does that, does that get me out of it? Then get me out of it a bit. What's the escape? Be humbled. Be humble. Right? Verse three. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, and when am I nothing? When does the enemy convince me that I'm nothing? When I'm thinking about God and how much he loves me? <laughs> Where I'm headed? No, think about now. Think about now. Use your now and your situations and your circumstances to determine who you are right now. That's what he says. When he is nothing, he what? He deceives who? He deceives himself. Well, where did the deception come from? In Revelation 12, 9, what does Satan do to the whole world? Unsaved world, what does he do? He's got him deceived. You know, what he, you know what happens when he can deceive a Christian? You know what he does? Then what does he do? 12, 10, he accuses them. See? You know, you made the wrong choice. You see? There's something better. See? See, God's not for you. See? 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 <laughs> Oh, God. 
Verse 4 of Galatians 6, But let every man prove his own work, and then will he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. In other words, Christ in you has done a great work. And when you don't realize it, you're going to look to others. And when you look to others and not Christ, what do you get? Disappointed. And then when you look within, and the enemy always wants that, he wants you to look into others because he knows that's where your need is not met. Go ahead, do this, do that. You know, you're thinking all these thoughts. Go away, do this thing, this exciting thing. Go on a vacation. Yeah, I know, but you take your thoughts with you. With the not dealt with. That's Hebrews 4.12. The word, the, the word of the Lord is living and powerful and then sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. The word's piercing. Well, you know, you know, if I come in and, I, and there's areas where I'm living in rebellion and, my, and, and I come and hear the word, you think I want to be pierced? Hmm? No. Now, there could be areas of ignorance. But if I come treatable and the word pierces me, I can instantly submit. The word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul, self-conscious living. Everything's about me. Oh, everything's about me. Isn't that the way we used to live our life? Isn't that the way, even as Christians, before we were taught, isn't that how we lived? Is that life? Terrible. Terrible. No. He'll have rejoicing in himself alone. You have Christ in you in your vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. You have the excellent treasure that Christ is in you individually. And you don't have to go to another. But if you do, and Christ is that treasure, and he is your thought, now you have fellowship. Now you have fellowship. Again, and not in another. Verse 5, for every man will bear his own burden. Right? He will bear his own burden. And so, is that a weight that he can bear? God allows these burdens because what, what do those burdens become the opportunity for? To draw us near to Christ. That's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Verse 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. What should our conversation be with each other? What should it be? I understand pray. Pray about this. I understand that, and we should communicate pray. Listen, you know, enemies coming in, you know, or I have these physical ailments. Let's pray about them. But when they become a talk topic of constant conversation, that's revealing self-occupation. That's what that's revealing, right? We make more than what we need prayer for than prayer. Did, that, did we hear that one? We make more a topic of conversation, well, really what we're going through, than prayer itself, and then fellowship. Let him that is taught in the word communicate. Let that be your communication. Unto him that teaches in all good things. Now look at verse 7. Be not deceived. Really, stop being deceived. It's present imperative. Stop it. Present imperative. Right now, you're being deceived. You know better. Here's the word. Stop it. Right now, stop it. 
No, I want to go through a little more crappy feeling, and then I'll get right. Matthew eleven twenty eight. All you that what? Labor and are heavy laden. What? Do what? When? When? When should we come? Why do we wait? Why do we wait? What keeps us waiting? Self-occupation. Because there's areas that we're self-occupied in because ignorantly we choose to preserve them. You know, back in, in Matthew uh, uh, 26 and 58, Matthew 26, 56, all his disciples, those that he taught, forsook him. He was, he was the teacher. He gave them the word. He was their life. They forsook him. We do that experientially. He never does that for us. He never forsakes us, right? Hebrews 13, 5, we just said it's a triple salutation. All the disciples forsook him in Matthew 26 and 56. As much as we like to look at Peter and how, how, how much he failed and all that, but in Matthew 26 and 58, it says he followed Christ afar off. All his trials and everything that those soldiers were doing to him beating the Lord Christ, beating him to a pulp. All his, and he had six different trials, constant trials. Okay? Peter was on a hill following him afar off. That's what a lot of Christians do. They follow him afar off. You know why? Because you know what the hill's called that he was following him on? The hill of self-preservation. And as long as I preserve areas of myself, I'm going to follow him afar. I'll acknowledge it, yeah. But I'm going to follow him afar off. That's what I'm going to do. I follow him afar off. Right? Verse 7 of Galatians 6. Stop being deceived. God isn't mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap. For he that sows to his flesh. What does it mean to sow to the flesh? What's that mean? What does that have to do with Thoughts. Thoughts. Think of what we communicate to each other. Think about it. Christians, we're on our way. We know that we have trials. First, uh, 1 Peter 1, 7, Job 23 and verse 10. These afflictions are pointed. We see that. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. God measured every single one of them. And they didn't come near us apart from the grace that he would give us to bear up under it. And we know that in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There's no trial that he's allowed us. That's not even common to the unsaved. But he's given us grace. <laughs> and what do they have? God almighty. Jeez. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he reap. For he that sows to the flesh will, what? Of the flesh, what? Reap what? What does it say? Corruption. Dead thoughts. Dead. Dead thoughts. Corruption. But, separated, contrasting conjunction, but he that sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life eternal. Verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we what? Faint not. Now Luke 18.1, well, why do we faint a lot? Because in Luke 18.1 it says men should always pray and what? Not faint. You know what faint means? Turn coward. Quit. Give up. Turn coward. I can't, I can't take it anymore. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. 
we have some vicious trials, don't we? And then we go out to breakfast. Really big trials, huh? <laughs> oh, Lord, please. We can't do this and we can't do that. I can't do that, but we'll go out to breakfast. Okay, that'll help, right? <laughs> Does it help? Nope. He that sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. If it's a corrupt communication, what, what was it? It was corrupt thoughts. Oh, how you doing today? Oh, how you doing? Oh, Lord. Cool. <laughs> we're in a battlefield, too. Yeah. Thank God we're not in a physical battlefield, you know. I get a kick out of some of these guys, you know, in sports. Some of these big, huge guys, and they got, you know, they have skill to play sports, and they call it being on the battlefield because they're physically banging each other. Yeah. yeah. Go over into a real battle where bombs are blowing and bullets are flying. You're talking about a real battle. And what makes us think we're not in a spiritual battle? What did we do? Forget? Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, we're in a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 4. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not going to get through it it's through self-thinking and self-occupation. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of a stronghold. What's a stronghold then? In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, what's a stronghold? The area that I preserve for self through self-occupation. And you know when we do that, you know what it's called? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Follow it back, and that's where it comes from, pride. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Sooner or later, if we don't give up those thoughts that we have and submit to him, you know, we're going to go right back to those lusts to escape those thoughts and that way of thinking. Thank God we have this. You ain't get... God, the, the truth that we're getting this morning is pretty awesome. And it, and, and, and it is awesome because it's God's truth. But it's very rare. But God's given it to us. It's very rare, by the way. But yet, it's, it's not, we're not the only ones that have it. No. <laughs> Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. How about verse 10 now? Look at this. Isn't this interesting? It's funny. Oh, don't, you know, you don't want to talk about that? Okay, well, I'll just read it. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially unto them who are of the household of faith, the local assembly. Isn't that interesting? Check it out. I'm not, I, you know, I don't want to tell you what it says. You check it out. Good. Get some concordances and some things, and, and you see what that means. Watch what it says. Anyway, I'm just going to leave it there. That's when Paul wrote this, and I'll tell you when he wrote this too, by the way. See how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. He had to do it. He didn't have an amanuensis, someone to record from, because he had ophthalmia. He had eye problems, and many believe he was epileptic. He couldn't barely see at all. So he had to write in really large letters. Yep. Yep. You know some of the greatest truths that we have in the Bible that God gave, right? He gave to the Apostle Paul. And when do you, when do you suppose he gave him those? 
When did he give him those? Time of great suffering. Chained to a Roman guard in a dungeon. They're called the prison epistles. That's when we got it. Where do you suppose the book of Revelation came from? Where was John, the beloved apostle? I don't know. You've been boiled in oil lately three times? Look what Paul went through. You want to see what he went through? I'm serious. And not that we don't go, and I'm not making light of what we do go through, but when it becomes the topic of our conversation in our whole life, Gets gets a little weary, you know that? It's just like, geez, come on, we have all right, so so does the world have that. But do they have what we have? Gosh almighty. You know, it's just like God. <laughs> anyway. Look in the epistles what this man went through, the Apostle Paul. Look what he went through. I got to tell you, I don't know. We're on our way to see him. The sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed on us and on us. The world, they they go through the same things. They have the same things, do they not? Don't they? Do they have the same problems we do? The same bowels, the same diseases, the same sicknesses? They have all that, but what do we have in us? We have Christ. Ah, gosh, mighty. Here's the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Now again, he's talking to the, to the Corinthians. It was in Corinth in Greece. That's when he's talking to them. Okay. He taught them a lot of truth as an apostle, and then they were rejecting him. (laughs) And they became his counselor, and they were rejecting his apostleship. The whole reason. And a lot of truth is brought out. Incredible. That's the reason he wrote this. It was an answer to their rejecting him. And a lot of it, you're going to believe it, if you study it in the original, the mood, the tense, the case, and the voice was very, very spiritually sarcastic. <laughs> if you can consider that God would be that. No, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's love and justice that's met everything about them, and you can call that mocking. Would God mock them? In Proverbs one twenty six, in Psalm 2 and verse 4, in Psalm 37 and verse 13, yes. Does he, again, does he mock our pain? No. No. But does he answer anything about the flesh? Does he? Will he help the flesh? Because as far as he's concerned, what did he do to it? He crucified it. Here's Paul. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? Now he says, I speak as a fool. In other words, what he's saying is they consider me to be a fool. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, whippings, in prisons more frequent, in death, uh, in deaths, plural, many times I should have died, often. Of the Jews, five times I received 39 lashes. (laughs) 
So far, God's seen him through all that. Oh, woe was me. Three times was I beaten with rods. <laughs> Once was I stoned. Three times I, sh- I suffered shipwreck. A, a night and the day have I been in the deep. I don't know, did the things, the things like that happen to unsaved people? Mm-hmm. In journeyings often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, I, I seeking to kill them constantly. In perils by the unsaved, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, uh-oh, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches, all those different churches, all those, you know. Remember we talked about David, you know, in 1 Samuel 22? Yeah. He was, on the, he was on the run for his life. The enemy was hard after him. You can be sure of that. He had his problems and his pains and his sufferings just as much as anybody else. He had him just as much as anybody else. I mean, isn't it not a morning we couldn't get up and talk about our pain? Isn't it not a morning I could do it? Any of us? Yeah. Besides those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You, You listen to people. You do. They call you. You listen to them. Verse 29 of 2 Corinthians 11. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. If, I'm, if it is a necessity to glory, I will glory of those things which concern my affirmities. He's not complaining about them. He's glorying in them. Crying out loud. Right? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I I lie not. In Damascus, the governor, under Aratus, the king, kept the city of the the Damascenes, Damascenes, with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. Verse 33, right? And through a window in a basket was I let down in the wall and escaped his hands. You, you run up from someone today to try to kill you while you're in the midst of your pain? <laughs> oh, man. He could, he could have been self-occupied with all of those things, right? He said, it is, it, is not ex, it, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. In the body or out of the body, I am not sure. He said, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not even sure, right? You know? Back, you know, back in Acts, the 15th chapter, many, when he was stoned, Paul, they stoned him and threw him out the city. They thought he was dead. And many believe that's when he got this. When God took him and brought him in in. in, in his spirit brought him into heaven and showed him these things, these great things, 
He has a lot to show us. We have a lot to be thankful for this morning. We have so much to be thankful for, right? And so with everything that we're going through, what, what is his counsel to us? This is what his counsel is to us, right? This is Ephesians 5 and verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things. Now, does that mean the trials? Does that mean the things that I go through? Does that even mean pain? Does it mean that? Does it? Is that an all thing? Yep. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name, and that name means his nature, what he's finished about us, his very nature in us, Christ in us, and 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and all the work that he's accomplished in us individually, <laughs> in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning is there plenty that we can be thankful of and thankful for, right? And it, well, I will be thankful. And then in my thankfulness, what will that cause me to do in 521? Submit ourselves one to another in the reverence of God. Nah, I don't feel like submitting. I don't feel good. I don't feel like it. Okay. I don't feel like submitting. Nah, I don't feel. I don't feel like having fellowship. I don't feel like it. Why? Eh, you know, too occupied. First Thessalonians five. Eighteen, uh, sixteen says, "Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing." Do you ever wonder? Do you ever read that ber- verse and think, "How the heck am I going to do that all the time?" Pray without ceasing, because what is prayer always teaching us? And who does he give the grace to, to depend upon him for? Who does he give that to? Those that he's humbled. In everything, in everything, give thanks. Really? For this is what? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Because if not, you will quench the Holy Spirit. you put him out. And then if you do that, you, it says despise not prophesyings, and that's teaching. Don't take, don't take lightly the word of God. God, that's given to you. You know, that's given to you. And say, say you miss a, an occasional huh, Wednesday night. Six days a week you can have the word anytime you want. Come on. I don't know, you know. Despise not prophesying. These preachings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Gee, sometimes, you know, not abstain. Don't get in the evil, even the appearance of it in your thought life. Right? And then the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Who, who is he? He's the God of what? Does God have settled peace about us? Everything about us in Christ, does he? Do we have it? Do I have settled peace with God experientially? Do I have it? Because if, I, if we don't, and any of us at times we don't, if I don't, he won't hold it against me. He never does because he sees me in Christ, right? But if I don't, what is it the result of? Self, 
occupation, and then when I'm occupied with self, then what does self seek to do about self? Preserve it. Preserve it. Preserve it. That's what that's what Moses was. That's what it says even in Hebrews. And we'll close with that one. Because it's 8.02. So we'll close. We'll close a little bit late today. <laughs> Hebrews 11. 23. By faith. And what is faith? Dependence. And, and what, what causes dependence? Humility. And who does he give grace to to make the adjustment? Humble. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months. His parents operated in faith because they saw he was a proper child, something, set of, something special about him in God. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he, when he came to years, when he was grown up as a man, right, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Right? Because Pharaoh's daughter was of the world system. Choosing rather to suffer affliction mm. with the people of God. He, he was choosing what? To suffer what? What was he choosing with the people of God? What was he choosing? Huh? He was choosing afflictions, right? Psalm 119, 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. What would cause me to go astray? Self-occupation through self-preservation. So in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Did you know that? Right? Choosing rather... That was again First Thessalonians three three. Here's Romans. Uh, here's Hebrews eleven twenty five. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When I don't want to go forward with God, when I'm occupied with myself and self preservation, then I'm going to go get some pleasure in sin, and I'm going to escape it. Pleasures of sin for receiving for a season. Why? Esteeming the reproaches of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, and Egypt is the type of the world system. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward with God. By faith he forsook Egypt. How do we escape the world and worldly thinking? Through dependence. Not, learn, not fearing the wrath of the king, but he endured as seeing him who was invisible. He endured seeing him who was visible. The enemy wants us to look at things by sight. Look not at the things that are seen in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are not seen, the things that are seen are what? Temporal. They're going to pass away. Things that are not seen are what? Eternal. And that speaks of the glory where we're headed to. We have so much to be thankful for. Father, thank you for what we have to be thankful for. In Jesus' name, amen.